Welcome to Journal Spotting. Excited that it's Christmas, but confused about the effects of religion, alcohol, sugar, consumerism, fires, singing or kissing on health. Your ears are in the right place. This is a general medicine podcast that brings you a monthly roundup of the top practice changing articles along with specialist interviews, guidelines and more. We scour the journals so you don't have to. We are the Journal Spotters. Welcome listeners to the Journal Spotting Christmas Special. On this episode, we have with us Dr. LJ Smith, as usual, respiratory consultant and newly appointed sustainability trustee for the British Thoracic Society. Congratulations, LJ. I never actually know what a trustee does, but it sounds very important. Oh yes, lots of exciting, very important stuff. Um, it is genuinely a really exciting position and I'm really hoping to do it justice with some help from some respiratory sustainability friends. So watch this space in the new year. Um, and otherwise I'm well, my tree is up, I've got, had some mince pies and I've got my Christmas jumper on. So looking forward to delving into it today. The tree is up, both literally and metaphorically. Uh, <laughs> metaphorical tree up. <laughs> I don't want to delve into that. Carry on. Uh, and you, you can also hear Dr. Barnaby Hirons, uh, who Hello. is desperately trying to avoid becoming a consultant and so is carrying on his cough research for another two years. You'll have completed cough by then, Barney. There'll <laughs> yeah. be nothing more to know about cough. So how On level that, two. How yeah. is that nine to five with long coffee breaks going? Oh, man, it's great. It's really great, actually. I, I, the more, I, you, well, the more I talk about it with you guys, the more I enjoy it, actually. It makes me feel better about <laughs> it. And today, the only thing I had to actually be in the office for was the office team. We're going to watch um, Muppets Christmas Carol. So, um, so, but I didn't go in because of the snow and the ice. So I, I stayed at home and did some work instead. But there we go. So life's good. Life's good. Thank you. It is actually quite busy, but it's uh, a different type of busy to what you guys are dealing with. Oh, good. That's good to hear, Barney. And I'm Dr. Jonathan Hudson. I'm a cardiology registrar. And every now and again, I'm the Grinch who holds the medical registrar bleep roughly once a fortnight. And I'm just a bit of a dick down the phone nowadays. Sorry. Down the phone, <laughs> on the camera. I not. I'm trying not to. I'm sorry. It's just the conditions. I don't know. It's tough out there, but that's why we've got to be nice to each other. We've got to be lovely hard. to each other. Okay. Anyway, don't worry, he's 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 lovely at heart, listeners. Yeah. No. My New Year's resolution: be kinder on the phone. Let's um let's go on with the we've got a, we've got a lot to cover, a lot of um very serious and very important medical research. And now you don't need general spotting to tell you that Christmas might not always be the healthiest time of the year. And uh, on top of all that, on top of all the food and the drink and all these things which are pretty unhealthy. We are bombarded by Christmas songs telling us to partake in all sorts of Christmas activities that may or may not be good for our health. Yes, we really are bombarded with Christmas songs and the lyrics are just so catchy. And we were a bit worried about the impact on the population of the health messaging or otherwise of these very festive songs that you can hear everywhere. So on Journal Spotting, we felt it was our duty to approach this quasi-scientifically. So what did we do? We took the list of 2021's top 40 streamed Christmas songs. We copied out all the lyrics. They were they were fun. Then we did a thematic analysis of health-related codes and themes. Next, we did a systematic review of each of these themes, really delving into the medical evidence, what's in the literature about all of these different issues. And then we had a look at the songs and thought, which ones would we actually recommend that have good, positive health messaging? Blimey, that sounds like a lot of work. 
Uh, was this meant to be a BMJ Christmas article by any chance? John, that is a um, that is a sore subject which we oh, don't want to talk about. <laughs> don't worry, this is a much better platform for it, and no one reads their BMJ anyway, so wouldn't worry about it. Right. In this episode, we are going to cover the benefits and risks of multiple Christmas pastimes, including alcohol and sugar binging, exchanging gifts, loneliness, sleep, consumerism, singing, dancing, kissing, cold exposure, indoors, indoor fires, Christmas clothing, inequality, and even war. Very festive. Um, so this episode truly has a little bit of everything, so keep on listening. I have suddenly developed a very rational fear that Barney's going to try and sing us some Christmas songs at the end or something <laughs> as, tell me this as is tempting, not planned oh man as tempting as that may be i'm actually you know what despite doing this and you know um constantly talking about singing i'm actually a bit of a bar humbug when it comes down to christmas songs um which i've had to sort of uh, put put to one side since i've had children so um yeah look i i, I won't do any singing tonight Okay, thank God, Barney, thank you. So before we kick off and review the Christmas songs that we've got in, in mind, let's just remind our listeners to rate and review the podcast uh, and subscribe on any podcast library. And if you want more content or if you want to see something, then do email us, get in touch. Um, we would love to hear from you. Brilliant. Okay, that's enough preamble. Let's crack on with the first theme we picked out from our analysis, which is Christmas traditions. And the sub-themes for this are food and drink, consumerism and music. I will um, kick the show off with food and drink. So it may come as no surprise that most of the top 40 songs mentions something about our famous, our favourite Christmas pastimes, eating and drinking, and usually a little too much of each. So nine of the 40 songs refer to alcohol. Many, like Paul McCartney, merely mention lifting a glass, whilst the poems go a little further referencing the need to go to the drunk tank. So, is alcohol a risk at Christmas or just a happy holiday pastime? So, there was a survey a couple of years ago um, based in the UK and Britain's drank apparently 26 units per day on average over the festive period of the people who were being surveyed, which is, just to remind you, 13 times higher than the NHS recommended weekly 14 units limit. God, that's absolutely loads. And I, <laughs> sporting, I'm also isn't it? worried about when people define the start of the festive period, <laughs> 1st of December. But I'm I'm not that surprised, uh, given how pissed I've seen certain family members by the time the Queen's speech is on. So I'm not hugely surprised listening. by that figure. <laughs> um, as you all know, excessive and binge drinking confers physical, mental and societal harm. I mean, that much is pretty obvious. Yeah, and I think 14 times the weekly limit on a daily basis, probably falls under that category. Yeah, I think that's 14 times over the week, actually, but still, yeah, no. quietly, yeah, about that, still a lot. Um, the story regarding low to moderate consumption is a little bit more complicated, actually, and people, our listeners will have heard different things about this. There is plenty of evidence which appears to suggest that this can actually, a sort of a low or moderate intake of alcohol can actually be beneficial to health. So regular low intake of alcohol, and that's about one drink per day, apparently can decrease the risk of dementia, cardiovascular diseases, um, stroke and diabetes, whilst excess alcohol increases the risk of all of these. Yeah, this is interesting data, isn't it? But I think it's really important to note that it's both conflicting and it's also largely observational. So some people enthusiastically promote a low dose of alcohol, while others very strongly promote abstinence. 
I think overall we can say we can confidently recommend you shouldn't end up in the drunk tank like the Pogues and those NHS recommendations are based on data and I'll probably choose to believe that a low amount of alcohol is at least fairly safe and have a few glasses over the festive period. I think that's totally fair. We're not too mean on journal spotting. We're not too bar humbug, but some of the things might be. Here we go. Now, um, next up, uh, we coded for was my my favourite enemy, and this is sugar. Now, sugar is ubiquitous at Christmas. Everything has sugar in it, from candy and cakes to the cranberry sauce and mulled wine. Dietary sugar, in particular fructose, it seems to be the biggest player here, is associated with obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and fatty liver, amongst loads of other badness. And, so you know, these risks are independent of total energy expenditure or body weight gain. Surely, Barney, the 30-minute Christmas stroll after dinner in the cold is enough to burn off the calories. Surely. (laughs) Well, look, I have actually heard some experts state that exercise directly after sugar intake can lessen your glucose peak. In fact, muscles can take up glucose during exercise independently of insulin. So there is this idea that if you exercise straight after eating, especially after carbohydrates, you can use less insulin, so you're reducing your risk of developing insulin sensitivity. But chats about this will have to come in a later episode. As far as long-term outcomes, the big studies show it seems if you eat loads of sugar and exercise loads, you're still at risk of all the badness associated with sugar. Also, even if you're one of the lucky ones who doesn't put on much adipose tissue when you eat sugar, you still may be at risk. Skinny people can still get type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease, although they're probably at less risk than obese ones. So in summary, keep your sugar intake to a minimum and trust us, listeners, you're sweet enough already. (laughs) You are indeed. You're very sweet. Um, Next up on the food was Nat King Cole. And he paints this lovely romantic picture at the beginning of his song, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Now, we're going to cover our views on open fires a bit later. But if you were thinking we were getting a bit bar humbug, you'll be pleased to know that sweet chestnuts, that's well, I'm not sure if I can say this properly, but Castanea sativa for the nut geeks are delicious, nutritionally, nutritionally dense and have high levels of dietary fiber, protein, vitamins and antioxidants. Furthermore, roasting them not only improves their taste, but also increases antioxidant properties. Win, win. So fill your boots, people. Thanks, Barney. And also under Christmas traditions, we looked at smells. So Christmas is all about delicious smells. There is evidence that certain odours, such as roasting food, can evoke emotions like happiness. The smell of a roasting turkey, in fact, was voted the top Christmas scent by over 2,000 Britons in a recent study, with roasting chestnuts and open fires, as mentioned, also in the top 10. But be careful, you can also be manipulated by your nose. Uh, So shops use very nice scents to make you spend more money in the festive season. So it's not all lovely smells in Turkey. But speaking of Turkey, is it it good for the environment? Should we be eating Turkey? Or should we be eating other things at Christmas? LJ, I'm sure you have a view on this. I mean, I obviously have a view about this. (laughs) It makes me slightly cry (laughs) that the smell of roasting turkey came top. Um, But seriously, uh, people often think of turkey as, as better than ruminant animals, as you've said, in terms of environmental risk. But 
the risk to both human and planetary health from factory poultry farming is really significant. So sorry to be the humbug, but antibiotic use is totally ubiquitous in bird farms and causes antimicrobial resistance. Um, And this can be associated with resistance in humans in some cases. And as we know, resistance is a huge global threat. Um, We're really worried about this as a growing health threat with an exponential rise in resistant organisms causing absolute havoc everywhere. And really anything that worsens this should be avoided. And then we also have to consider how poultry farms are a total breeding ground for zoonotic infections. We've had, you know, loads of birds grounded because of um, bird flu and lots of uh, animals killed prematurely, even before they've reached their kill date. Um, So no one wants another pandemic. And this is absolutely a huge risk. And so, sure, poultry farming, possibly less harmful than cutting down the Amazon to feed cattle, but big carbon footprint through all of the transport, huge land use for all of the feed required, loads of waste products causing eutrophication. I mean, that lovely Christmassy smell is hiding a lot. Brutal, but so true. Also, kill date sounds like a um, some sort of teen horror film, and if it isn't, it should be. Anyway, um, LJ and John, take it. Either of you going to be eating turkey this Christmas? LJ, no. John, you're you're vegetarian now. Yeah, you are. Yeah, well, and... I've just had quite a contentious discussion with my family actually because uh, I'm hosting. We're hosting our family ah. for Christmas, and. It's taken me a bit of time to finally conclude that we're definitely going vegetarian. Yeah. That's a tricky one. It was yeah. hard. Well done. It's hard to navigate the family at Christmas. Yeah. We're going with a mushroom wellington. Oh, nice. Yeah, I made that last year. Very good. Very, Very nice. Good. Yeah, my mum cornered my wife and then and then cornered me a little bit later to be like, are you definitely not eating turkey this year? <laughs> I was like, yes, no, we're not eating turkey this year. Okay, three less, fewer turkeys. Good news. Right. If you're going to eat turkey... Though, listeners, look, you know, we're not going to stop you, of course. We're being we're, we're being mean. Um, do splash out on some free range organic version. Otherwise, do like we're doing and try and keep it some keep it plant based. Fabulous. Um, OK, let's move on to the next sub theme under Christmas traditions. And this one is consumerism. Uh, can you just clarify, LJ, what exactly you mean by consumerism? Sure. Um, Consumerism, described by some as a social evil, is defined as society's preoccupation with acquiring goods. And modern Christmas, as you might have noticed, seems to be very much about this. Goods, goods, small goods. Um, But qualitative studies have looked at this quite extensively. And it seems even if, like Mariah Carey, you don't care about the presents, the pressure and the expectation on people to purchase for others and spend an absolute fortune that they might not have is enormous. Yeah, consumerism consumerism has been associated with all sorts, anxiety, depression, anger, um, and lower satisfaction, particularly in adolescence where a lot of these studies are done. Also, as you can imagine, it worsens monetary debt, which can actually have a really deleterious effect on both mental and physical health. So, Debt has actually been associated in large studies with increased all-cause mortality after adjusting for numerous confounders. In the UK, the debt accrued over Christmas is absolutely enormous. And beyond that, it's actually truly dangerous to the physical health for many. And of course, I'm going to have to jump in and remind us of the planetary effects of consumerism. 
links really nicely with what we were saying um, at the end of Climate Zone 7 about fast fashion in particular. So people get really obsessed with buying new things, new goods, new clothes. And obviously this this short termism is really bad for the planet. Yeah, it's probably worth reminding the listeners actually that um, individual household consumption, and that, that does include food um, as well as everything else. And that accounts for about 60% of global greenhouse gases and about 50 to 80% of the land, material and the water use. So people always think it's, it's the big corporations, it's the big factories which are doing all this, but actually household consumption is a massive part of it. And beyond that, you know, all this waste, all these things we're buying, um, have a listen back. You know, have all, you're going to be having a listen, hopefully, to our next episode, which will be on microplastics with Professor Melchert. Um, and you can understand why we should be limiting excessive plastics on top of everything else. Yeah. And also worth remembering that a homemade gift is pretty lovely. So give that a go. I want to know what your best homemade gifts are, but maybe we don't have time. Don't have time. <laughs> ah, no, fine. We'll skip it for next time. You can tell us later. You can tell us what you gave at Christmas. I personally have done the bulk of my Christmas shopping on Vinted this year, which sells secondhand clothes and other things. Um, it's not a perfect solution, but tends to save money, which is a big yes. Uh, and buying secondhand is nearly always better than pressing the buy it now button on Amazon. So give it a go, listeners. And enough about Barney's underwear shopping habits. We're next going to move on to the next sub-theme, which is music. So Christmas carols are definitely one of my favourite things about Christmas. Very excited to be going with my family to the Christmas carol sing-along at the Royal Albert Hall this year. That's in the calendar. Nice. Oh, lovely. Okay, so what did we find out? Can Christmas carols and music be good for our health? Yes, I think the answer is probably yes. So musical interventions, especially singing, have been shown to significantly improve mental and physical health-related quality of life anxiety, depression, and they increase social interactions. And this has been shown in a number of studies and lots of meta-analyses. And if listening to your favorite tune wasn't enough, dancing along is also associated with a myriad of benefits that's improved physical health, cognition, and falls reduction in older adults. So my parents, who would actually resent being called older adults, will be encouraged to stand up and dance in the aisle at the Royal Albert Hall. <laughs> nice. Okay, it does matter what you're listening to, though. So I just want to balance the argument and say there is also evidence that aggressive or derogatory lyrics can impact listeners negatively. Um, And this can impact how they feel about themselves and how they feel about others. So keep it to some traditional tunes and some positive Christmas messaging. And I'm also going to be a Christmas Grinch and remind us how for the last two years we've all been trying to avoid catching COVID. Singing is an aerosol generating procedure Singing is usually done in close contact with others in confined spaces. And it's not hard to understand how, during the pandemic waves, news was frequently talking about whole choirs of churchgoers coming down with COVID all at once. In place of traditional choirs, however, a number of virtual choirs have sprung up all around the globe. And there have also been some qualitative studies which have shown to have similar benefits, especially in the mental health um, compared to real sort of in face-to-face choirs. So they're yeah, a good option. I'm going to be cheery here and say people should just go dancing and prancing like Bobby Helm or sing their heart out like Sia this Christmas. You might catch RSV in the meantime. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. Okay, that's the theme of traditions done and out the way. So we're going to move on to sensations. Oh, sensations. All right, what have you got? Uh, We split these into physical, psychological and existential. Should we start with the physical? Yeah, do. Go for it. Let's get physical. (laughs) 
Okay. Sounds like Olivia Newton-John. Well, we're actually starting with sleep. So <laughs> it is a physical sensation, but Sounds not familiar. an active one. Uh, sleep, as you know, is crucial for both short and long term physical and mental health. And we've covered it in a number of journal spotting roundups. So lots of evidence to dig into. And several of the top 40 Christmas songs mention sleep disruption. Nat King Cole's assertion that tiny tots will find it hard to sleep tonight is especially concerning because sleep disruption in children impacts attention, behaviour and school achievement. Yeah, well, try telling my kids that when you're trying to put them to bed. So what we do, we're recommending early nights all around at Christmas? Yes, we're recommending you should give your kids the best gift, a bright future, <laughs> good sleep hygiene this Christmas. Lovely, I can give it a good go. Good luck with that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Um, next up is laughter, arguably the best medicine. And this can bring improvements in everything from things like immunity, pain tolerance, hypertension to longevity. I mean, loads of things. And even simulated laughter can have some of the same health benefits. Although the yeah, evidence behind this is a little more limited. Oh, so when I laugh at your jokes, I'm still getting something out of it. That's good. You are indeed, mate. The evidence suggests that even if you fake laugh, um, even if you're just doing it to try and shut me up, you may reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease and depression. So, you know, nothing to lose. Listeners, just laugh at my bad jokes. That's all you need to do. I feel like you're going to bring up this evidence again in the future. Many times, I imagine. (laughs) Okay, so we did find a number of other physical sensations in the lyrics of the top 40 songs, but uh, we haven't got time for all of them. So we're going to skip to some more interesting psychological sensations. And a surprising number of the top 40 songs feature loneliness. Christmas can be a very lonely time. Mud, feel lonely this and every Christmas. Um, Kelly Clarkson is alone on Christmas Day. And the Pogues state that they can't make it all alone. So loneliness worsens lots of things, emotional distress, physical health, and is associated with increased all-cause mortality. So social relationships can mitigate these risks, and gift-giving can actually strengthen social connections. Yeah, how, how does that play up get about what we're talking about, consumerism, you know, not giving too much and things? Homemade. Yeah, good. Yeah, good question. So a 2008 study found that participants who were randomly assigned to spend money on others experienced greater happiness than those assigned to spend money on themselves. So the evidence-based approach is to spend more on planet-friendly gifts for others, homemade perhaps, uh, not cheap tap for yourself. (laughs) Very good. Okay. Nice. Okay, I'm going to move on to religion. So it is easy to forget in the modern world, but it turns out religion is actually quite a key part of Christmas. Um, And there have been actually an abundance of studies that have explored whether religion is good for our health. The majority, reassuringly, or not reassuringly, seeing as 50% of the UK population now doesn't declare religion, suggests that actually religion is quite good for our health. Um, So prayer, a feature of most religions or most spirituality, is amongst the oldest interventions for alleviating illness and promoting good health. Yeah, I remember some studies a while back thinking and thinking that the evidence base for prayer was pretty sketchy. Yeah, well, it depends if you're directing the prayer towards a perforated sigmoid colon or not. Um, but jo- <laughs> jokes aside, Cochrane have actually looked into this and they found no significant difference in recovery from illness or death between those who prayed for and those who were not prayed for in randomized controlled trials. However, there is evidence of benefit for individuals who take part in prayer. So things like higher success rates for IVF, longer survival after an HIV diagnosis, lower rates of anxiety and depression, and greater longevity. 
that's quite impressive. Although obviously it's quite difficult to separate the effects of the prayer act itself from the religious practices more generally. You know, is it the wine? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's the wine, but there are definite potential confounders there. So it does seem like, though, that we should all be taking the opportunity this Christmas to embrace some kind of spirituality in whatever form this speaks to us. Yeah, and sort of linked to this um, is reminiscence. So a lot of obviously a lot of religion is thinking about stories and things like that. And reminiscence is actually think, comes up a lot in these Christmas songs. So Andy Williams retells tales of glories of Christmases long, long ago. Sam Smith remembers, here we are in olden days, happy golden days of yore. I'm really struggling not to sing. <laughs> Try my best. Um, and reminiscence-based interventions have positive effects on quality of life cognition, communication and mood among older adults with dementia. I mean, these studies are small, but often significant. So cognitively intact older adults can experience improvement in depressive symptoms, life satisfaction, self-esteem, psychological well-being and happiness from such interventions, which is probably why reminiscing about stories has been is in nearly every tradition you can think of. That sounds like a really good excuse to get out the old photo albums this Christmas, relive some past fashion crimes, perhaps, (laughs) particularly for those of us getting closer and closer to that category of older adult. Brilliant. And once again, I want to ask you about your sort of your fashion crimes in the past. But once again, I'm afraid we do not have time, listeners. Um, But yes, in fact, this reminiscing is medically recommended. Um, kind of again linked to this is your family reminiscing is, is love and love is a really strong theme in festive songs as you can imagine with Justin Bieber asking show me baby that you love me so oh 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 thank you very much Boney M <laughs> rejoicing that love may reign once more and Shaken Stevens finding love and understanding love promotes health through neurobiochemical pathways, predominantly in the limbic system. And these augment immune defences, reduce depression and anxiety, attenuate the effects of stress and boost well-being and overall health. So love's good, guys. That is really excellent news, although that extremely biological explanation is not particularly romantic. (laughs) Don't think it's going to be featured in a Love Actually sequel anytime soon. Maybe not, maybe not. Right, let's all stop getting cuddly and warm and start talking about some more harms of christmas christmas is bad yeah humbug yeah (laughs) so we've already mentioned risks to planetary health through consumerism plastic waste and factory farming but my god it gets worse a number of christmas songs feature fossil fuel powered transport my least favorite version of transport so kylie minogue seeks a quote a 54 convertible to light blue whilst the pogues and kirsty mccall note they've got cars as big as bars I don't know what that means, which could be a prophetic just comment. Means, just means big cars. Big cars. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it means. Is that a prophetic comment on the increase in car size, particularly SUVs? Maybe. Uh, Chris Ray is, quote, driving home for Christmas. Chris Rhea. Chris Rhea. Oh, Chris Rhea. I don't know who Chris Sorry. Rhea is. <laughs> is he from the 80s? I think he is. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't alive then. Uh, so... The point is, with my public health hat on, private cars are a cause of significant health harm, physical inactivity, obesity, death and injury, cardiorespiratory disease from air pollution, noise, community severance and climate change. There's lots of reasons to hate and avoid cars, especially big ones. OK, but um, do these songs talk about any eco alternatives there, John? 
yeah, good question, Barney. I'm glad you asked. Uh, Slade suggests a ride on down the hillside in a buggy you have made, although that will obviously depend on how well you can construct a buggy or how good your woodwork skills are. And Coldplay in their Christmas song have the best idea recalling, quote, I took my feet to Oxford Street. Active travel. Coldplay. Good to hear something good coming from Coldplay. <laughs> Ooh, um, that's not fair. <laughs> okay. There were, it's good to hear that there were at least some other options mentioned. So that is excellent. Also, just to say, if you're getting in your car to get home for Christmas and being around your family and, you know, all the love you experience there and you're reminiscing, I don't know. Can you balance that? So, balance that from destroying the planet, John. <laughs> some challenging, challenging maths going on there. Cycle okay. home. <laughs> the many many miles anyway carry on lj you were, you okay were we did say we would come back to open fires when we talked about chestnuts roasting and i'm afraid the top 40 songs really do overstate the benefits of an open fire particularly dean martin and frank sinatra who tell us that the fire is so delightful they have completely missed the huge contribution of our open fires to air pollution which accounts for approximately 7.6 percent of global deaths Domestic wood burning in both closed stoves and open fires is responsible for 38% of PM2.5 particulate matter, which is a major component of air pollution in the UK. So this is extremely irresponsible advice. Yeah. And if you want to get anyone a present this Christmas, get them Chris Whitty's report on air pollution. 360 pages. Just print it and put, oh, don't print it. That'll use up. (laughs) (laughs) Just read it. And that will also help you sleep at night, maybe. Just Just sing it to your relatives at Christmas. I enjoyed how angry LJ got there as well. Okay. Open fires. Open fires are a menace. Well, uh, what about closed ones? Log burners. Oh, what are these safe log burners, John? Sorry, listeners. Even your UK purchased safe inverted commas log burners, they they dangerously increase indoor levels of PM2.5. And this was actually demonstrated in a recent study. Even if the door is closed, the PM2.5 still gets out. And every time you open it, it gets much worse. Furthermore, burning many different types of fuels can release carcinogens like polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, that's PAHs, benzene, formaldehyde. And one study actually found that inappropriately burning treated timber in an environment increased levels of arsenic in the local men's beards just think of poor old santa up that sooty chimney come on guys oh dear yeah it just gets bleaker doesn't it um i also realized that multiple songs include some messages which could be interpreted as warnings about the impacts of climate change so it's all been there for us to hear and maybe we just haven't been listening so band-aid warn where nothing ever grows no rain nor rivers flow and mariah carey actually highlights the excess energy use at christmas when lights are shining so brightly everywhere so scarcity of water food and livelihoods due to climate change risks escalating conflict and war and jonah louis reminds us of this possible future talking about the nuclear fallout zone and singing bang that's another bomb on another town that is not particularly cosy. Not at all, I'm afraid. And I think we were looking at what the impact of these lyrics might be. And these sorts of lyrics might actually trigger eco-anxiety, which is a real problem, particularly for younger people at the moment. Um, but we know that an effective antidote to eco-anxiety is action and activism. So a really good idea for a New Year's resolution. Yeah, get some climate joy from activism. We spoke about that quite a few times. Nice. Okay, so we've talked about uh, the harms that Christmas does to the environment on a global scale. But what about the local environment? Uh, I mean, Christmas activities bring a plethora of festive exposures into the home. 
including, of course, Christmas trees. So I think these are generally safe Christmas trees unless they fall on you because you put it up wrong. Or possibly you can get contact dermatitis from a tree. Yes, I heard about this. Allergy to Christmas. How common is that? Uh, well, it, I mean, it's not all of Christmas. It's mostly due to colphonium, I think it's pronounced. So this is a sticky substance in pine and spruce trees. Uh, and actually, it's used in some cosmetics, adhesives and topical medications. Uh, so some studies say that up to 2% of adolescents are allergic to this substance. So uh, thankfully, though, it's just a sort of mild rash while you're decorating the tree, which isn't a problem. Nothing says Christmas better than a, a mild, <laughs> mild rash in your, in your a grumpy adolescent teenagers. Brilliant. Okay, so from trees to bushes, um, both holly berries and mistletoe can cause gastrointestinal upset if ingested. So no matter how peckish you are, try to avoid snacking on them before dinner. Um, mistletoe extracts, and this is quite interesting, are, are commonly used adjuvants in oncological treatments um, and used in many countries in Europe. Um, and there was actually, again, a Cochrane review on this, which concluded the evidence of impact is, is lacking, unfortunately. So they're not recommended currently, but they're not saying they don't work. There just isn't the evidence there. And then thinking about mistletoe, um, what about kissing under mistletoe? And then this is a, this actually goes back to a tradition of the Celtic Druids, and it provides a lot of festive joy for some, at least. So, you know, the scientific study of kissing is, oh, gosh, Philematology, I'm going to say. Any, anybody else got any more takers on how, how to pronounce that? <laughs> philematology? That a, yeah, that sounds right. Is that a real word? Or? Yeah, it's a real word. It's a, yeah, I didn't Google how to say it though. So. <laughs> but philematologists, they're people, report that passionate kissing can use 34 facial muscles, burn 26 calories a minute. How many minutes you're kissing for probably is the key thing here, and increases central endorphins and dopamine. However, a little bit less romantically, an average mouthy kiss shares nine mils of saliva and tra- transfers 0.8 times 10 to the power of eight bacteria per kiss. Delightful. Yeah, it's um, it sounds essentially like a quenching snack and a snog all in one. That's so gross. That <laughs> Apologies, everybody. Quite gross. Okay, thanks for that. That's exactly why I waited until I was 18 before I did any kissing. Yeah, good idea. Oh, good idea. As late as possible. Nothing, nothing to do with teenage. Nothing. Anyway, um, not only are there buckets of bacteria transmitted, pretty much any pandemic virus can be spread by kissing as well. And these, of course, include current ones like the flu, monkeypox, and our old friend, COVID. And apparently you can also get hypersensitivity reactions from kissing. So there are multiple cases of severe allergic reactions which have arisen after kissing, including anaphylaxis, some of which were actually fatal. Uh, The cause of these were predominantly thought to be from food allergens that were transmitted. And I'm guessing those with flavor-saving beards like Santa are probably the worst culprits. Difficult to put a positive spin on all this, but at least now you have a really Excellent excuse. In fact, a bunch of excellent excuses for not kissing your in-laws this Christmas. Okay, some helpful evidence-based excuses going on there. So thank you very much. I'm going to move us on from all this talk of kissing and bacterial translocation and think about the weather. Um, We're currently in the middle of a bit of a cold snap and it may continue into the festive period. So it's no surprise that lots of the top 40 songs include chilly weather in the lyrics. 
and Bobby Helms talks about the frosty air. And Buble is creepily trying to persuade Idina Menzel to stay over by repeating, baby, it's cold outside, baby, it's cold outside, baby, it's cold outside, multiple times. It's weird. Mm. Uh, perhaps you prefer Dean Martin, who doesn't care if it's 10 below, and why not? Uh, maybe Dean was aware that cold exposure, with most evidence in cold water swimming, bolsters immunity, lowers blood pressure, and has antidepressant effects, and also reduces insulin sensitivity. There are actually plenty of studies supporting this, so there might actually be something to uh, Wim Hof's ice baths, although I'm not going to be jumping into them anytime soon. It looks freezing. Um, also important that we cite evidence that inexperienced swimmers risk a pretty unfestive death due to neurogenic cold shock and hypothermia. So definitely don't do this alone, only supervised. Yes, important public health messaging on the cold water there, definitely. But also breathing cold air, it turns out, can be detrimental. So firstly, cold air can hit your nasal passages and that can cause quite a lot of drying effect on the mucosa. Um, has anyone ever noticed their nose is always running in the cold? So this is called always. cold air rhinitis, where you basically get like a rebound hypersecretion from your nose, also known as skier's nose. That's the more sort of middle-class version of it. Um, there's also been studies in patients with asthma, COPD, and even in athletes um, that have demonstrated that cold air increases airway resistance, inflammation, and bronchoconstriction. Barney and LJ are getting quite excited by all these words. Uh, there's also <laughs> studies that show an increase in asthma and COPD hospitalizations with exacerbations when the temperature drops. Furthermore, whilst winter viral infections are mainly due to things like overcrowding indoors, there may actually be a little bit of truth to catching a cold, um, which is what your sort of your mother or your grandma used to tell you every time you left the house. So cold exposure can cause nasal vasoconstriction. This can theoretically reduce the local supply of leukocytes and potentially increase susceptibility to a, like a, a grumbling subclinical infection. Indeed, they have actually tried to test for this. They plunged the feet of 90 volunteers in cold water and compared them to 90 matched controls. Um, those who had their feet chilled reported significantly more coriza symptoms at four to five days. And when I say significant, the p-value was 0.047. So still significant. So there we go. Mm, I feel like we might need to dig into that one a bit more. There might be a few potential issues with that yeah, study. Maybe. I think one thing we can all agree on is generally staying in nice warm environments as recommended over Christmas. Uh, but we have actually established that fireplaces should be avoided. So just the central heating. Um, it also means that maybe wrapping up warm is a good option. Uh, however, I, I don't know, Nat King Cole's description of dressing like the Eskimos, uh, probably not the best. Firstly, not sure it's the right terminology. Uh, but secondly, first traditionally used, uh, that have traditionally been used to keep warm, um, mostly come from kind of caribou, seal, goose and duck. Um, this may not be the most sustainable um, way to dress yourself, especially in the, uh, I don't know, the UK. Maybe if you're in Alaska, but not here. Yeah, I think we can kind of uh, draw some distinctions between local communities and their traditions and what might be applicable on a global stage. And we also need to think about actually what's in some of these um, 
clothing and close contact with goose and duck down in either clothing or bedding has been associated with hypersensitive pneumonitis. We're back to the lungs again. Um, so that can actually progress to pulmonary fibrosis if it's if there is recurrent exposure. So definitely we would recommend the safest, cheapest and healthiest option to get warm might just be wearing an old Christmas jumper that your grandma knitted. Stay away from the furs and the feathers. This sounds like good advice. I don't actually have a. Oh no, I do. I have a. I have a jumper which my grandma-in-law knitted. That's going to come out this Christmas. Um, and this brings us on to our final sub theme: inequality. And codes identified here were inequality, gender, violence, and war. That is not a cheery way to end the show, Barney. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Okay, the obvious top forty inclusion here. Oh, yeah, it was the obvious top four inclusion here was my personal least favorite Christmas song by Band Aid. Um, this sort of this patronizing piece of junk. Sorry, anyway. Anyway, I won't get onto it. Um, they ask us to spare a thought this Yuletide for the deprived, noting that um, despite our world of plenty, inequality is everywhere. Then we have John and Yoko expand on this, describing racial and income inequality for rich and for poor ones, for black and for white. Um, and these inequalities have profound impacts on health. And as we are very aware, were compounded and exposed by the recent COVID pandemic. Kind of still going on, I suppose. The lyrics of, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, reinforce traditional binary gender roles with a pistol that shoots as a gift for boy children and dolls that little talk when you go for a walk for female children. Strongly gender type toys may reinforce gender inequality and be less supportive of optimal development. I'm sure all of our listeners are aware toys are toys and no toys are only for girls or only for boys. Yeah, some some really uh, important inequalities there to consider. And I guess if we're really taking it Further, war is the most dramatic cause of inequality. And we already know that some of those Christmas songs have highlighted war. And Jonah Louis asks, can you stop the cavalry? And sadly, for some this Christmas, the answer is no. So lots of thoughts out for those uh, suffering with conflict. And on that very Christmassy note, uh, we have come to the end of our systematic review and thematic analysis of the top 40 (laughs) Christmas songs. Well done, guys. Well done, guys. Um, but before we sort of sign off, um, what do you think you're... We're going to tell you what our key songs you should listen to or perhaps shouldn't listen to this Christmas are. Um, what are your key take-homes, guys? <laughs> a, a good kiss uses the same amount of saliva as a good sort of saline flush in a cannula. <laughs> oh, yes. That is true. That's a good way of thinking about it. That is revolting, isn't it? LJ, what are you going to take home from this? What's going to change your Christmas? Well... John's going to go uh, around with 10 more syringes. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I'm going to take the idea of consumerism being bad and buying stuff for other people, though, being good to the nth degree and just use that as an excuse for why I've Mm. homemade all of my gifts for my family and bought them experiences rather than uh, stuff. So hopefully they'll they'll agree with that. That's good, and you can just signpost them to this to this um, to this podcast so they can understand it. Um, and I actually I don't know I like I like all this, the singing and dancing and that sort of thing. I quite like these these murky areas, which sounds like singing and dancing. They have so many benefits, 
But um, yeah, you know, COVID's shaken it up, and I always like a bit of a discussion about that, trying to, you know, pros and cons. Okay, so I think overall, this semi-systematic review of Christmas song lyrics demonstrates a mixed Santa sack of health messaging. Um, some pros, some cons for some of the interventions. Uh, and we did do a risk benefit analysis, which was very high tech and complicated and helped us to determine which songs would be recommended for positive health messaging. Uh, quick look down the list. And did you just sort of pick the ones you liked? <laughs> not far off, John, not far off. Um, but here we go. Let's, uh, I'll start, I'm going to start with our list of risk averse and possibly even beneficial songs which you can fill your boots with this Christmas. So, so these are the songs with the best health messaging. Yeah, the best health messaging. Thank you. That's a better way of describing it, John. <laughs> Number one, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Two, Step Into Christmas by Elton John. Three, Rocking Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee. Four, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year by Andy Williams. Five, Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. Six, Holly Jolly Christmas by Michael Bublé. I can't remember what number I'm on now. Anyway, next is Sleigh Ride by the Ronettes. Um, next, Merry Boy's Child, Oh My by Lord Boney M. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Sam Smith. Feliz Navidad by Jose Feliciano. And Santa's Coming for Us by Sia. Mm, some classics and some newer ones. Definitely a good playlist there. Okay, so we have got some that you should absolutely avoid if you want to avoid filling your minds with naughty or dangerous thoughts that might be <laughs> detrimental to your health. Um, these sadly include Fairy Tale of New York by The Pogues featuring Kirsty McCall, uh, Santa Tell Me by Ariana Grande, Driving Home for Christmas by Chris Rear, stuck in traffic in his fossil fuel guzzling car, One More Sleep by Leona Lewis, uh, Christmas Lights by Coldplay, Lonely This Christmas by Mud, Stop the Cavalry by Jonah Louis, Blue Christmas by Elvis Presley, very sad and lonely that he is, and The Christmas Song by Nat King Cole because of its absolutely terrible advice on fires. Perhaps you won't miss too many of those. That is not your health-promoting Christmas <laughs> Well, brilliant. Thank you guys for going through that absolute wealth of information. And actually, yeah, I think there's plenty of things our listeners will pick out of that. Um, in contrast to the message of the podcast, I will actually be celebrating Christmas, just in case that was unclear based on the, everything we just talked about. <laughs> There's plenty I love to Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, Christmas is great. We're going to have a great time. Um, listeners, have a have a fantastic Christmas yourself. Um, stay safe. Actually, don't say stay safe. No, no, no. Uh, sorry, I'll take <laughs> You're not Chris Witter. You just look like it. Listeners, have a fantastic Christmas. Be careful. And if you can't be careful, have fun. <laughs> this is my new advice to my child. And he's so confused when he looks at me. He's like, I don't, I don't get it, Dad. I, like, no, I don't know what to do with that advice. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> You have been listening to Journal Spotting with your hosts, Dr. Barnaby Hirons, Dr. Jonathan Hudson, and Dr. LJ Smith. Information and links from the show can be found on our website, journalspotting.com, or on Twitter. If you've enjoyed the show, subscribe and leave a review. If you have any feedback or questions, get in touch via our webpage, our email, journalspotting at gmail.com, or tweet us. Disclaimer time. This podcast is for educational use only. The views expressed are opinions based on our experience, the experience of our guests, and the evidence we read. We are not affiliated to any particular institution. 
By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use the information we share to make decisions on how to treat your patients or yourselves.